Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with songs of deliverance from my enemies to all my
I'm excited to share with you a message today. It's really kind of interesting because I went to the prayer uh, this morning and Walton started praying about Pentecost Sunday and things happening on Pentecost, which is just coming up in three weeks. And, uh, and I wasn't sure if David was going to preach about it or not, but it's one of my most favorite topics. So I thought if I have an opportunity, I'm going to preach about Pentecost. Okay, so I'm going to preach about Pentecost today. You might say, what the heck are you going to preach about? <laughs> my wife's corrected my language. <laughs> English teacher. What, what is Pentecost? Well, Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. I'm not going to go there. By the way, just FYI, I have a lot of information to share in a little bit of time. So I'm going to go very fast today. So pull out your paper, your pen, your phone, your notepad, whatever you want to do. I'm going to go very fast. I'm going to do a historical type church history class today versus a theology class. Although I am going into the word. But I'm going to talk about Pentecost. I'm going to talk about what happened on that first Pentecost Sunday for the church. For the church, Pentecost, that one Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church is what we call the birth of the church. We say that's where the church was birthed that day on Pentecost. That was the day the Holy Spirit was poured out with all the gifts and all the power of God. Jesus said, go wait in Jerusalem and you'll receive what? You'll receive power. You'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says in the Gospels. Go wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had never really infilled men before this time. He said, I have to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. The Holy Spirit came upon men and women, but He never infilled them till this date at Pentecost Sunday when He poured out His Spirit upon them. Let's just read this real quickly. I'm going to read with you uh, New King James Version. You NIV people have to deal with it. Uh, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting. First of all, a lot of people say there was a mighty rushing wind. There was not a mighty rushing wind. There was a sound, a miraculous sound from heaven that seemed like a mighty rushing wind. And you'll see later that it was so loud and so powerful, people outside the room were hearing it. Okay? And it says, There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire that sat upon each of them. Okay. Let's be real. If you were in this, there was about this many people in that room, 120. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. They were in there praying and worshiping God. All of a sudden, this sound comes, which is kind of crazy, right? And then they start seeing tongues of fire on top of each other. Now, half of you in this room would probably run out and say, I'm not going back to that place. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's weird, right? Honestly. And half of us would be like, I'm never going to leave that place. You know, it's just like the power of God comes that day. And it says that they all say all. 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. And the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. See, everybody outside, they're hearing this thing. And they were confused because everyone heard them speaking in their own language. Now, some people like to say that they were speaking in the language of the people. There are 15 different nations, as we go further along here, that were there. 15 different languages. And it says that they heard them in their own language. It doesn't say that they were speaking 15 different languages. I'm going to confuse you now, right? It says they were speaking in tongues as God gave them utterance, and the people heard them. In their own language. Let's keep going here. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? Which means, who are these? Galileans, that bunch of fishermen. These aren't theological trained people. And how is it that we hear each in our own language uh, in which we were born? And then it goes through these 15 different nations. And it says they were all amazed and perplexed in verse 12, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking them said they're all full of new wine. So we have this day, and they were full of new wine, hallelujah, just not the natural wine, amen? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit on that day. The first time, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The first time in history anyone had spoken in tongues. You don't see that anywhere else in the Old Testament or anywhere else. It was the first time. But we still celebrate Pentecost. Amen? We are Pentecostal. Uh-oh, watch out. I'm not talking about the church, the Pentecostal church. But if you believe in the gifts and the power of God that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, you're Pentecostal. Amen? But here's the deal. Let, let me be careful. Let me make sure I look through my notes here. I don't miss something. So if you read throughout the book of Acts, you will see how the church lived, how they ministered. They ministered in the very power and the gifts of God. They ministered with the gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. He talks about words of knowledge, gifts of healing, gifts of tongues, gifts of interpretation, gifts of words of wisdom, gifts of discernment. They moved in these gifts. They ministered in these gifts. It wasn't just... Like Paul says in one text, he says, look, I come to you not with persuasive words of wisdom. I appreciate all of you who like apologetics and do apologetics. Some people turn to the Lord through apologetics. But Paul said, but I come to you not with words of wisdom so that your, your faith will not be in the words of man. But I come to you in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what, if I come to you and I have a word of knowledge about your life that breaks a yoke over your life, that sets you free forever for something you've been involved in, it'll be much more powerful than I theologically debate with you about something. Sorry. One of my things. Now, 
Oh boy, here we go. There are some who say that these gifts were given to the New Testament apostles because they needed these gifts to start the church. But now they have passed away. Now we no longer need them. Have you ever heard that? Huh? Well, I want to come to you today, and again, I have a lot of information to download very fast, and talk about you, talk historically, theologically, and experientially why this is not true. Can we go there? All right. So I want to start back with the early fathers in the second, third, fourth century. We're talking two to three hundred years after the apostles. The early fathers all wrote about the power of the Holy Spirit. They all wrote about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, what's his name? Cereal of Jerusalem. I, I, wrote his, I wrote down a quote from him because the last recorded note that we have from the early fathers about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is, was from Cyril. And it says, if you believe, listen to this quote, you shall not only receive remission of sins, but also do things which pass man's power. And you may be worthy of the gift of prophecy also. So we're talking 300 years past the disciples, past the original apostles, okay? All it takes is a brief study of the early fathers, and you would see all the way through the 4th century, they believed, they used the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they moved in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then we come to the 5th century. And so around the 5th century, the church became to have, uh, started having less and less miraculous power and started moving more and more toward uh, tradition, sacramental uh, order of services. And so what happens is that some theologians um, come to think that the gifts were just for the early church, for the planting of the early church, and then they passed away, right? But it's not true. Augustine of Hippo, he comes up with this thought that it's just for the early church. Others argued because in the 4th century the Bible was canonized, meaning it was completed, that once that which is perfect has come, we no longer need these things because the perfect came in 1 Corinthians. Let's read that text for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. So some like to say that which is perfect is the Bible. And the Bible is perfect, right? The Bible is perfect. But that is not what Paul is talking about in this text. What is it? What is perfect? When that which is perfect comes, all this will be passed away. What will be perfect? 
Jesus, when Jesus comes back, it'll all be passed away. It's kind of funny because they use this text to say tongues and prophecy have passed away. But then it says knowledge has passed away too in the same text. Has all knowledge passed away? Do we not have any knowledge anymore? No. When he who comes, who was and is and forever will be perfect, comes, then we won't need any of these things, right? Has nothing to do with the canonization of the Bible. In fact, in Hebrews 7.26, the writer of Hebrews kind of clears this up for us. He says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests of the past uh, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and for the sins of the people, because this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. Who is this? Who is this? For the law appointed men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Paul was writing about Jesus who was perfect and when he comes, we won't need these things. Now going back to church history, if we go back not long after the 5th century, we have the fall of Rome. And then we have the Dark Ages. And the church becomes very political, very corrupt, very controlling over the people, even over governments. And so, all, so the church totally loses its way, if you ask me. I would say the church lost its way. And But God, say but God. But God, just like He did with the Israelites, constantly trying to draw them back in the 1500s, he gave a man, Martin Luther, this revelation, who was a, a Catholic priest, a German man, a revelation that the just shall live by faith and not by works. The just shall live by faith and not by works. He beat himself. He climbed stairs on his knees. He did everything he could do to kind of feel like he was pure and holy, but he could never get there. And then God said, you don't have to do all that. He also came up with the revelation that we don't need a mediator between God and man except Jesus Christ Himself. He gave His whole life for this message. And He started the Protestant Reformation. Do you know why we're called a Protestant church? Because of Luther and those before him and after him were protesters. We're protesters. That government, come on, say I'm a protester. Yes! Woo! I like being a protester. You like being a protester? Luther protested that this is not true. And God started the whole trail of things that happened throughout the next 500 years to restore his church to be like the New Testament church. Luther started it all. Well, it goes a little earlier than Luther. Again, I don't have much time to go through everything. There's a lot more backdrop to this. This is like a, uh, a cliff notes to a long book. <laughs> okay? So Luther starts this whole Protestant Reformation. 
to us today to think you would have a personal relationship with God, it's like, of course. But to the people back then, it was like, oh my God, that's, that's not right. Only the priests have this kind of relationship. Only the priests can go to God. And the church was charging money so that, in fact, I might start that. Y'all want to pay me? I'll pray for you. You know, that's a, that's a good way to make some money. You know, The church made a lot of money because people would come to the church to pray and pay them money so they prayed for them. God forbid. Amen? So Luther starts all this in the early 15, mid-1500s, and then in the later 1500 comes John Calvin. John Calvin was not a protester like Luther. He was a great theologian. He wasn't a great preacher. He wasn't an evangelist, but he wrote theological teachings that we still use today. Some of them I slightly disagree with because I'm an Arminian. Uh, but anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> but he said God is sovereign. God is sovereign, not the church. Jesus is your Lord and no one else. So we have the just shall live by faith. God is sovereign, not the church. This is a real breakaway from the church theology of the day, okay? And then my hero of the faith, whom I know very much about, is John Wesley. We're talking 200 more years, 1700s. John Wesley and his brother and George Whitfield come on the scene. And the church, although they... Even the Bible was translated. Luther translated the Bible into the German language because before that, the people only had Latin. They didn't even know Latin. They couldn't read the Bible. But he started translating the Bible, and others also. The Gutenberg Press got it out all over the world. And so we have this revolution of people reading the Bible, but they weren't living holy. They didn't understand that God wants us to live holy. And so John Wesley comes on the scene. He says, be ye holy even as God is holy. It is an abomination for you to live like the world. And he preaches out in fields with thousands of people. They kicked him out of the church because of his teaching. But later on in his life, he came with another major theological transition. He said, there is a second grace that is beyond salvation. He called it the grace of liquid love. He said there is a baptism of liquid love beyond salvation. And it sanctifies you. He calls it the baptism of sanctification. That God's purifying. So he is the very first person in modern history, if you want to call it modern history. Uh, <laughs> he's the very first person to come up with this whole thought. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He didn't call it that. His followers did call it that. Very first person. And he has a very long story of how he got saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, totally changed his life, right? I don't have time to go through his whole story. All early Pentecostals take their roots back to the early Methodist church in John Wesley. Every one of them, it comes from there. This is where it comes from. So then we go forward in time. 1831. There was this guy, Edward Irving. I don't know a whole lot about him, but he was a Presbyterian minister. He had the Regent Square Presbyterian Church in London. 
And he tried to restore the charismatic renewal, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And his church actually, they experienced some tongues and prophecy and all these things, but it didn't last long. There's a whole reason why, and I, I can't go into it. Mm. Then in the mid-1880s, to the late 1880s, there was a group called the Keswick Higher Life Group. These are ministers who began to believe in the power of God. They, they went further than John Wesley. John Wesley really preached the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an infilling, liquid love, uh, purifying you, sanctifying you. And they said, no, it's more than that. It is the very power to minister the gospel. They took it further. They said this empowering of the Holy Spirit is for us to minister stronger, better through the Holy Spirit. One of their great leaders was D.L. Moody. In the late 1800s, I'm just kind of going through a time frame here, healing was restored. So we have the just shall live by faith. We have God as sovereign, not the church. We have the Holy Spirit, live ye holy, and then all of a sudden, we have this move of God. The Holy Spirit is there to empower us to move mightily. And then the healing ministries begin. God, again, listen what I'm trying to do here. God, over 500 years, is trying to restore His church back to the New Testament church that He planted. Amen? So Alexander Dewey in the 1880s started ministering in signs and wonders and miracles. He was in Australia. He was actually a Scottish man. But, he, but he's not the real key person in this. He, although he started the earliest one that we know. There was a man named Charles Parham, which some of you know about. He was in uh, Kansas. He had a school in Kansas in the 1880s. He's probably best known as the one who started the faith healing and tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit ministry. Charles Parham, he had a church up there in Kansas and a school, and he taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. He preached healing. But you know what? He had never seen anyone speak in tongues. He had never spoken in tongues. He didn't even know anyone who ever spoke in tongues, and neither was it really anything that happened in that day. So Charles Parham had this revelation, just like Martin Luther had a revelation, that the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, many times is associated with speaking in tongues. And then one day he was preaching in his congregation. And this lady just jumps up and starts speaking in tongues in his congregation. She actually was speaking the Chinese language. She spoke it for three days. She couldn't even speak English. As far as we know, this is one of the first signs of someone speaking in tongues. There are earlier references. I can't go into all detail. But here's the deal. Charles Parham moved his school to Houston, Texas. And he was still teaching this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And this young African-American guy, which many of you have heard of, William Seymour, he couldn't attend his class because he was black. 
But he would sit in the hall and Parham would leave the door open for him so he could hear the message. And he got a call to go to Azusa Street, to, to an African-American church in the ghetto in Azusa Street. Now, many of you have heard about Azusa Street. It all started with Charles Parham, his revelation. And in Azusa Street, William Seymour hosted one of the greatest revivals that ever happened in our country. Amen? And it's not just our country. People went there from all over the world. I mean, they, and it spread everywhere. It spread all over our country, all over the world, because in that one church, they had more people baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking tongues than I ever heard of in all history. It spread everywhere, even here in North Carolina. So we have this new outpouring. It was like the day of Pentecost all over again. People were getting filled with the Holy Spirit, getting healed. People would be blocks away walking down the street, not even believers. And all of a sudden they'd say, man, what, what is that I feel? There's something going on. And they would find their way to this church and get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Pentecost. That's what Pentecost is all about, amen? It's about reaching the world for Christ. Charles Parham, you got to love him. He just kept preaching no matter what, whether he saw it or not, but then we finally see it. So God restores not only the gift of healing in the 1800s, but then speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, especially with Azusa Street. Right? Can I hear an amen? You know, in Azusa Street, they had three services a day, seven days a week, for three and a half years. People from everywhere came there. And you know what was very interesting? Because it was mostly African, African Americans leading the church. You know what their praise and worship was like? They clapped their hands, they danced, they shouted to the Lord. Some people, white people, didn't really enjoy that that much. <laughs> but they said, something's happening here. I don't care how they're doing it. The power of God is here. I remember the first time I went to a charismatic church. Now, we're talking way back in the 80s. And people were raising their hands, and they were clapping, and they were shouting and moving and shouting in tongues. And, and I was like, whoa, what is this? I'd never been around anything like that. Of course, I never, I'd hardly been to church anyway. So uh, this was all new to me. But guess what? I thought, boy, there is life here. Something is happening. I don't understand it. It seems a little weird. But something is happening here. And I kept going back to that church because I wanted to experience that same whatever was happening with them. Now we're going forward in history. Some of us even remember this. In the early 80s, mid-80s maybe, early 1900s, we have the prophetic ministry and the apostolic ministry almost simultaneously restored to the church. And God's not done with us yet. So we have the prophetic ministry from Kansas City. They were called the Kansas City Prophets. 
and men and women who, who experience prophetic anointing to prophesy over individuals, prophesy over the nation. The prophetic gift was restored to the church. I'm telling you, God is restoring His church to be like the New Testament church. And we should not shy away from it and hide away from it and pretend it's not true and live like it's not part of who we are. I am not ashamed to tell anybody I speak in tongues and I prophesy and I get words of knowledge. But here's the deal. Jesus and the disciples didn't just do it in the church. Right? They went everywhere they went on the street. A lame man sitting on the side of the street. Be, be healed. A blind man sitting on the side. Be healed. They used the gift to reach the world through the power of God. And God's calling us to do the same and not be ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God for it is the power unto salvation to those who believe. Why do we shrink back? Why do we pretend like it's not true? Why do we just give in to the world and act like, well, I want to be cool. You know, I don't, I don't want to get embarrassed. What if you do get embarrassed? What if you pray for 30 people and none of them get healed, but the 30th person gets miraculously healed? What if? And God gets all the glory, amen? It's all for the glory of God. So through the centuries, we see God just restoring His church. And like I said, He's not done yet. The whole concept of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven has been around for centuries. But it's beginning to permeate the church again. That we're beginning to say whatever's in heaven, we can have on earth. Right? But only a few people are believing that in Christendom, to be honest. It takes hundreds of years for things to permeate through the church. Hundreds, unfortunately. The whole focus on the presence of God. It's not brand new. Other people have known it. Uh, Brother Lawrence, he talks about practicing the presence of God way back. But the focus on the presence of God, being in the presence, it's new to the church. Most churches don't... But people would say, what do, you, what do you mean? What do you mean the presence of God? How, how do you do that? I'll tell you how. <laughs> Get baptized in the Holy Ghost and worship Him. Amen? Here's the deal. God, throughout history, is restoring His church. And He wants us to be just like the New Testament church. He wants us to live like the New Testament church. He wants us to walk like the New Testament church. He wants us to think like the New Testament church. He wants us to give up our life for the sake of the kingdom like the New Testament church. I encourage you between now and Pentecost Sunday to read the book of Acts. Read it over and over. See the way they lived and what they did and how they ministered. And say, God, I want to be like them. I want, no, no, no that's, not, that's the wrong phrase. Not, I want to be like them. I want what they had. Amen? I don't want to be like, I want what they had in them. I want that zeal. I want that passion. I want that divine glory to come out of me. Yes, amen. amen? So that I can reach the world around me. Not so I can get goosebumps. 
So somebody give me a prophetic word today. Why don't you go give somebody else a prophetic word today? Always looking for your own encouragement. Encourage me, God. I mean, I know people who go from prophetic ministry to prophetic ministry. I need a word. I need a word. Get your own word. God talks to you. Amen? He talks to all of us. And then let's go give a word. Woo! Y'all with me? I think I want to be just like the apostles, except I don't know if I like that martyrdom thing that happened with them. <laughs> I'd like to skip that part if possible. <laughs> but I'd like to be like them. Listen to me. This is a book I read when it was first published. It's called Revival by Winky Prattney. I heard Winky preach many times. I absolutely love him. But this book, if you want to get fired up, about revival and moves of God and, and know the history of the church, where it started. He goes before Luther and he comes all the way through the 80s, which is when it was written. Uh, I've had this book for all that time. Actually, this is a new version because somewhere my book is lost in Evie's hundreds of books somewhere in our house. <laughs> so, uh, but if you want to know any, like it talks about Luther and Wesley and everybody that you could think of throughout history and moves of God. And it tells their stories of salvation, their stories of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, their stories of being healed and restored. It's powerful. Amen. And it makes you think, Lord, do it again. Do it in me. Let this be my story, some of these guys. But they all paid a price. They all paid a price to be those men and women of God. Hey, thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. Have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.